You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Hodge-Kander. Lisa is an amazing director and teacher. She's an actor and writer. I'm going to go on a little bit in this intro because explaining um, how Lisa and her work are intertwined with my life is a bit complicated. She's family to me. Lisa is someone who shaped my childhood and continues to be like another mom to me. Uh, She's a trusted friend and someone who I look up to as an artist and as a human being. She has four kids. Uh, She home educated them. And she and my mom became close friends when we were all kids. She started doing plays with all of us. She had studied acting in England in college, and her love of Shakespeare is something she passed on. We did Taming the Shrew when I was nine. I played Tranio, a little, you know, eyeliner mustache above my mouth. And the community she built for all of us was the most joyful part of my childhood. She is a wise, welcoming person, and her house was always the one everyone wanted to be at. Her oldest daughter, Beth Kander, is a playwright now, one of my closest friends, and was featured on episode 38, if you'd like to go back and listen to that. When we were growing up, Lisa and my mom produced shows for years. They created a company called the Michigan Youth Theater, and we traveled all over Michigan performing Shakespeare for kids by kids when I was in middle school and high school, which really uh, helped kids relate to the plays in a different way, I think, to see someone their own age saying that language. It didn't seem as foreign. She and her husband, Ken, are one of the main reasons I believe marriages can work. And she was generous enough to marry my husband, Frankie, and I almost four years ago. She performed the ceremony. That is not the half of it that I'll have to do. I'm so happy she agreed to talk over Skype. She's based in Holly, Michigan. I treasure this conversation and everything she shared with me. And I hope you enjoy the 72nd episode of The Compass. try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? It's always a challenge. I think that, um, and I'm, because I knew this was coming, I've been thinking about it, and you have to find ways to feed yourself and spiritually to, in your heart where, where your passion comes from. And I think that one thing you have to do, you have to forgive yourself that you're not always going to be successful at doing that. 
you know, there's going to be darkness. Um, and the trick is to embrace it without wallowing in it. Because I think that as artists, certainly as artists in the very human theater of field of theater, that uh, every experience is of value. It, it deepens our understanding of the human psyche as actors, as directors, as writers, we have to go into very dark places. When we're doing playwriting workshops, we say conflict and evil and pain, bad in real life, good in theater. <laughs> so um, uh, I had a professor who would say that in a way we are emotional whores <laughs> because we, we take all of the emotions and then we turn it into product you know, in a way. So in your darkest moments, if you can say, but, but you know what, even this, this too is a part of the human experience and a part of the artistic experience. This too is something that I can share that shows that we have depth and we have range and there is so much more to us than just skipping along the surface. Right. So, so that's something that I try to tune into when, um, but you, you can't do it at at the abyss, you have to do it on your way down or on your way up because it's <laughs> it's, it's not uh, it's, it's not possible at the abyss. So so one of the things that I do is to recognize that it happens. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's a part of the experience, um, and it's going to happen again. And it's going to happen again. That's something that I can tell you at this point. If you're if you're looking to somebody who's this far along to say like, and so so how do we fix this? <laughs> you roll with it. You keep rolling with it. it. It's it's something that continues for a lifetime. Um, it's part of the lesson. Yeah. So, do you find when you're having one of those days, which you've and you've acknowledged that, like, okay, well, today is just going to be one of those days, and tomorrow is a new day. Um, what sorts of things do you turn to? Do you tend to take a break from working? Do you tend to turn to trying to create something in that moment? Or is it, do you just need to take a breath and not it's, force it? It's been different at different times. I mean, and it also depends on what you're doing then. Taking a break isn't an option if you're in rehearsal. Right. Okay. Uh, taking a break isn't an option if you have to perform that night and what I say to my actors when I'm directing is take everything that you have right now and use it do you how so, is that as a director because I feel like there's a lot of pressure as the leader to kind of not show weakness <laughs> oh um, that's very true that's very very true um, and again that depends on your troop I have had yes. very young troops and I feel that it's important um to be strong for them. And as you know, I mean, and I do this with adult troops that are new actors, and I even remind veteran actors, but definitely with my youth troops, I would always say, there's going to come a time in this process where you think this is stupid and horrible, and you're sorry you did this, and can you get out of it? And what, <laughs> you know, what a stupid play, what was Shakespeare thinking? Hamlet, whoever, no, no. <laughs> This is wrong. This is bad. This is terrible. And that's right before it gets better. Yes. Yes. Because you remember me saying that, and that I have found to be true. 
that right when it all falls apart, it's because it's about to reassemble into something better. And that's hard to remember. And Ken is a great source for me, my partner, mm-hmm. my, my rock, because when I come home after a rehearsal and I'm going like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. It's awful. It's just, I can't believe it. I mean, maybe I should change my name. Maybe I should move to another town. And he'll say, oh, good. You're right on track. <laughs> so, so knowing that it's a part of the cycle, um, yeah. if we don't let it fall all and I was thinking about that too because uh there's someone dear to me who's in a show right now about to be in a show that is kind of saying don't go to the show Uh. because I I I don't like it It, I'm not doing I'm not proud of it it's not good and I want to say to this person and I perhaps will is that there would be no great art if there were no great failures and so that's that's something to kind of keep to heart and, and embrace the awfulness. You know, go go over the top with the awfulness sometimes. Uh, so that's part of it. The yeah. other part of so that's when you're in process. Okay, when you're in process, you can't take a break, and so you have to find. And sometimes you just power through it. You just power through it. Um, and as I've said to some of my friends, when a friend said to me, well, I just pulled that one out of my ass. I said, <laughs> well, you have a much better, your ass is well <laughs> So you can, you can definitely pull a few out of there and it's fine. <laughs> Not everything can be your best. Yeah. And so that's, those are different things, strategies when you're in process, when you're not in process. And this mm-hmm. is very hard for a director, for an actor, you can work up audition pieces, and you can you can um, go to acting workshops. There aren't very many directing workshops. Yeah. Uh, there aren't. You can't work up a directing monologue. Yeah, it takes a lot of moving pieces to do what you do. Yeah, it it takes people. It takes people. It's the most human art form. You know, it's it's what I love about it that it is, and I think that that is. If I have a particular genius, beyond, I hope, love, mm-hmm. um, I think that it is bringing the best creative forces in the people around me together in a way that works with each other. Um, and you can't do that in isolation. So um, strategies for coping with, will I ever have another show to direct? Will I, will I ever, am I, am I good enough? Will I ever be good enough? Um, right. It's hard. It's really hard. You know, um, it's hard when I have, as you know, done a lot of work with very young people and I've done amazing things and changed lives. And I know this yeah. and you don't get respect for that. You don't get money for that. You don't get, you know, oh, it's kids. You know, you get so a, you get a lot of hearts that way. People's theater is very hard to find sources of uh, validation. So I guess one of the strategies, and I think this is important for all artists. I think that is very important for women artists because you're going to make choices and you're going to have um, different parts of your life to balance. 
is you have to find a way to determine what success is. You have to create a, a, a definition that's going to work for you. And it's hard because the whole universe is saying, well, that's not it. Yeah. You know, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? If you're not you're so, so talented, why aren't you, you know, lighting up all of the marquees? But you've looked at people who are lighting up the marquees and you've looked at people who are rich and go like, you know what? That's not what I want to be. Yeah, that's person. not the only way. Well, it's not only not the only way. I mean, I look at some people that have those trappings that society wants to tell us are success. And I think, is that a successful life? Is that the life that I would want to have? Is that the life I would want my children, and I include you among them, to have? Mm-hmm. Um, and... No, no. So you have to find and cling to and continually revise that definition of what success is. So that's that's part of guarding yourself and self-talk when you're between projects. I mean, there's all the obvious things like try to eat well, try to move, try to get out in the sunlight. Um, those are underrated, but super valuable tools yeah. um, and again that's difficult um, they seem so basic but they make a huge difference it does and when you're at least when I am in a low low place I don't want sunshine I want a cave <laughs> to sleep in the darkness Hi- hibernate yeah 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 um, and so it, it takes that first push pull and I, I cannot stress enough that you have to have community and again I think that's a part of my heart genius is to create family within community that's more than community that that is goes over decades no that's one of your amazing skills that I hope to learn from you you always had the house that I wanted to be at growing up and I want to I want to be that house one day (laughs) yeah and uh, we're about to remodel for the first time in, you know, almost 30 years. We're going to have the kitchen and both bathrooms done. And Ooh. it's like, I just want listeners to know that my house was not the house to be at because it had designer furniture or <laughs> it had all of the amenities. It's because it had hugs and food and yes. acceptance and love. Yes. You know, that's, that's what you want to build. And you have to find that. You have to build that as an artist because our art of theater is the most human, the most collaborative when it's at its, I think, richest and most um, artistically rewarding and um, successful form. And at the same time, it's such a pressure cooker of competition to get there, right? Um, it, it, it doesn't, the professional part of it does not foster a sense of cooperation, collaboration, family. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to find that. You have to create that. You have to make that a part of your life. And some of it will be like Ken, whose greatest theater skill is as an audience member. <laughs> and some of it has to be people who you value and respect um, that have your back in the, in the art form that you choose. Other artists, also very valuable. And just friends, um, friends that, that go like, your your heart is there and you're, you're doing all right. So, and that's 
if I had to choose anything, I would say building that that community family for yourself to, to continually feed your soul with with build your asset bank. You yeah. know, there's all these different education speak words that have come up across about what you have to do to to keep kids motivated. <laughs> it's you gotta find love. You gotta give love. You have to have people to give it to. And you have to have people that are going to give it to you. And in our art, in the business side, it is hard to find that, hard to build trust. No, but having so, those having those people who can tell you after you didn't get a role that, you know, that's not the judgment of your self-worth. <laughs> that they, they still love you and that that, that isn't as, as important. As a performer, yeah. as a performer, it's very hard to... Um, not take it personally because it's your person, yeah, right? It's your body. It's, it's your, 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 your instrument is yourself, not just your looks and your voice. All that's part of it. You have to respect what that projects, but also the aura that you project yeah. and the personality that you project. And there's a couple of things that I'd like to say about that. One is, and there's a lot of articles going around about this. When you don't get the part, it really isn't about you. It really is about, with a good director, and I think this is true of most companies in some measure, um, they're trying to find a group marriage, if you will. You know, you're trying to put together all the pieces that fit together. And sometimes in the professional world, they already know some of the pieces, right? They're going into it saying, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, well, so-and-so is going to be playing this role, so I need to find this one and that one. And so it's about finding a fit. For instance, when I directed Proof, I had an actress that came to me and um, it was while we were also doing Othello. The, 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 at Wayne State, they were doing Othello and I was directing Proof. Uh-huh. And, and so it's group auditions. And I had a black actress come to me afterwards and say, you know, why didn't I, why didn't I get the part? Which they're not really supposed to ask you, but she kind of asked and, I, and she said, well, I wasn't good enough. I said, oh no. You don't understand. I I had I was looking for family because it's a show that has family and a, a large part of it is family. So I was looking for people that work together, fit together, look together like family. I had an entirely black cast. That was one of I had like four casts. Four options. My selections, and you were in the black cast, but so was the guy who ended up playing Othello. So I couldn't have him. So I couldn't have you um so your physical instrument and um how you fit with the play is a part of it sometimes and if it's not this time it's another time that's that's part of it and the other part of it is realize that audition is not just an audition for that show everything you do is an audition when you walk in, that's an audition. When you go to the show and congratulate people afterwards, that's an audition. When you when you um, run into somebody, that's an audition. Um, right. So who knows? That's Ten years so, from now, if that person's going to think yeah, of you for the perfect it's, thing. It's not just for that show. You know, so it's like, okay, I didn't get that show. I wasn't a good fit for that show. But I know I had a good audition. Right. It's going to come around eventually to something that is a good fit. Right. And really, you want the best fit. Sometimes you're so desperate and you want to work. Oh my gosh, oh, yeah. I want and you, to work. Want, you want some sort of certainty in the present. That's something tangible that you can hold on to. There is, but there is that ethereal 
<laughs> looking to the future thing about knowing that all of your, your kindness and your uh, good work is going to come back. Well, for me, it's true. And it's the art that I want. I know that this is not always how it happens in the professional world, but the art that I want is based on collaboration and mutual mm -hmm. respect. And so I want to be a part of that. You know, the, my favorite projects are ones that I'm, I keep working on with the same, a few of the same players come back in, and it's those collaborators that I love working with. Well, oh, and I think that that's where the best art comes. I think that the best art comes from history and knowing each other and being able to share with each other. Um, when you look at historically, the, like Stanislavski and his, his group went off into a uh, country estate to work on things and live together and eat together and, and just form a company. And that was a company that created great art with the same people that worked together. Shakespeare's company, he wrote mm -hmm. for certain actors. Those roles were created for people that he knew was going to play them. So I think you have a very good case for working together is the key to great art eventually. Can I ask um, about your transition when you decided to go back to school and get your PhD and what that decision was like for you and how it went? Yeah. Because uh, how long ago was that now that you started back at school? It's, I started back in the fall of 02. Okay. So I got, and I got my PhD, PhD in 09, which is not unusual, you know, because I, I went with coursework and so on for four years and then got the dissertation project and then wrote the dissertation. And right. <laughs> so it's a, a very long process going into it. Understanding mm -hmm. it was a long process. Um, for me, it was partly because I had to start building bridges because I had created youth theater because I had children. I had physical children and later on I had alternate children <laughs> that I wanted to have these experiences. And so I created some really great theater with young people. And then all of my biological and alternate children started you know, growing up and moving away. And, and <laughs> I can see that coming along the horizon. I had one or two left at home when I went, okay, now we have to start looking at what's the next step. Right. Um, so that seemed to be a good step. And um, it was devastating at times because I didn't get accepted at the first places that I applied to. Um, because if there's a small pool of people that they're accepting... Right. And um, I had been out of the professional world and out of the academic world for 20 years. So there was, and that's kind of a blow. To, and that's again where I've been working with young people. I've been doing, I've been doing. You've been doing a ton of things. <laughs> three or four shows a year and creating a traveling troupe. And yeah. I've done all these things. And it's like, yeah, with kids. Right. Yeah, with kids. So that was that was kind of bruising, and again, go back well, to what now. You now they're the kids that are in your college program, <laughs> you yes. know, like the yes. step before that. Yes. So, um, so that was kind of bruising, and but I did find a program, and I was happy to find a program that not only could I get the advanced degree, 
but I also was paid to get the advanced degree. Nice. You know, I did, I got a fellowship so that I didn't pay for any tuition that was all covered. Plus I got a stipend, Great. which was really, really helpful. It was the time in my life. I didn't have small children anymore. It was a bridge to the next stage in my life when I would need to have something that I was going to be doing that was both fulfilling and financially assisting my family, I Uh hoped. Um, So I found a really pretty good fit. And it also had to be geographically accessible. You know, as... uh, Well, for directing... degree and I didn't get a full tenured position instantly or at all because I was older at the time and we could talk about ageism. We can talk about sexism. We can talk about the isms that, you know, (laughs) never told directly that's part of it, but because I was chose to be, to stay married. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a limited number of places that I could go because it had to be, have the program that I wanted and also be commutable. Right, and for directing, you can't do that remotely. You cannot do directing remotely. You can't do acting remotely. Um, I am getting much more uh, in terms of teaching, moving to teaching online, um, introduction to theater classes. Right. I think there are a number of classes you can teach online. I think you can teach theater history online. I think you teach intro to theater online, which I think is an important class. Because I think you need to develop audiences. Yes. Especially that you need to, to have, especially young adults, but people of just about any age, start to think about the difference between this, which I love you and I'm happy to talk to you in real time, but this is not the same as being in your physical space. Right. This is not the same um, as being able to have that exchange of energy. It's a real thing. And one of the ways I get them to think about it is to uh, ask them about sports events or concerts. You know, would you rather have a CD? Would you rather watch a baseball game on TV? Or would you rather be there? Yeah. And gets them to kind of make that connection to, yeah, movies are great. These are the great things about movies and TV. I can hit rewind. I can, um, you know, I can do these things that make it convenient, but there's something else. There's something else about the live experience. And I think that it's important to do that. So you can teach those things online. Um, Playwriting, I think maybe, maybe with a few um, in-person workshops Mm -hmm. uh, you could do, but you can't teach acting. You can't teach directing. You can't do acting. You can't do directing online. Yeah. Do you guys think that you're going to be in Michigan long term at this point? I'm just curious because now you could take your degree elsewhere as well if you did decide to move for whatever reason. Well, here here's the thing. Um, and there's a couple of reasons. One is my mom is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ken, it, Ken, let's not kid around here. Ken pays the bills mm-hmm. and his job is five minutes from where we live. So while those two factors are in play, we probably won't, mm-hmm. uh, although we're both looking at ways to be less geographically tied so that we, we can go out to Chicago and spend time a week or a month. As you know, I spent a month when 
Beth had her baby. Yeah. And it was like, the best! <laughs> um, thank you, Beth, for having a baby at just the right time. So that you could be there for a month. month. It um, worked out for everyone. Yes. Very, very, very well-timed um, <laughs> for, for that purpose. And ultimately, I don't think that long for the rest of my life that I'll live here in Holly, which is not um, the artistic mecca that people may think of. <laughs> uh, but for the next three to five years, yeah, probably. Um, you are married to the most wonderful man on earth. Uh, yes. Who is does it not? Sorry work? about that, but <laughs> there's only one. I got. There's him. only one. You got him. And he doesn't come from an artistic background, although obviously you've indoctrinated him into your world over the years. What has that been like for you guys to negotiate and kind of when you first started, when first started dating and then as your relationship grew for him to deal with your artistic life? Well, um, we went to a lot of shows actually when we were dating because we started dating in Chicago um, and we, we saw Angela Lansbury and Carrie in Sweeney Todd, among other, other shows that we went and saw. We saw a small theater as well. Um, so he likes theater and likes watching it and was perfectly happy to fulfill that role as an audience member. And the only times that it became kind of rough were the times when, uh, the commute times when I was doing my PhD and even before that when I was doing a lot of shows a year and most rehearsals are gonna be after the work day and he, his job is during the work day. Right. And so um, that was kind of rough, but kind of going into that were we, we knew that it was time limited, that it was going to be six weeks. And you always have the days off of rehearsal for, for people that we made sure that it was special time for us. Mm-hmm. And as you know, there were a lot of things that happened in our living room. So um, <laughs> there was that contact as well. So he's very appreciative. And that's part of what makes him the most wonderful man in the world, certainly for me is that he just has joy from seeing me have joy and it just keeps this bounce back effect going so that we're like hard to contain all that happiness (laughs) when it's going well and of course he's the person that i would go to who was outside of it yeah right so when things were going awry and i was frustrated with this person that that had made a commitment they were going to create this particular prop and then they didn't come through and how am i going to cover that and and You know, there's sometimes that he's so stubborn. I wouldn't have my PhD except that I was going to like, it's not worth it. I don't know if I can do this. This is so hard. I've, it's just, and he's going like, well, of course you're going to do it. It's like he was unshakable. No matter what it was, whatever problem I was having, it's like, and you'll solve this. It's going to be fine because it always is. You know that it always is. And I'm going like, but this time it's not going to. But yes, it will be. It's like, well, I can't disappoint him. He's so sure. It must be true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did I mean you mentioned all the isms. I did want to ask if um like as a woman director, if if you've kind of come up against any walls of uh 
men thinking that, you know, you don't belong there or how you've dealt with that? Well, when you're working with, it's kind of, um, when I started out and I was working primarily with young people, it was not a problem because a woman should be playing with the kids. And that was the problem. The problem was both respect for woman as a valid artist and young people as having a valid um, artistic voice. And also art as being something that is in and of itself intrinsically valuable and not just playtime. Right. So all of those things were different expressions of uh, isms that are very much at work. The, the focus on success as a business, you know, play as not valuable. I see a lot of that happening in education today that, mm -hmm. you know, kindergarten isn't kindergarten. There's play and recess and music and art and theater are not classes. We need to get you know, math and science, which we do. We need to have math and science. We can't fall behind in terms of artistic. But certainly the brain, human beings are structured so that it is when you are free and creative that these things become integrated and then that you, you start to grow as a person. Um, so I had that happen. Um, I think that as I moved into the academic world, yes, there was a, a significant amount of, as women artists, you're not really um, either as a woman academic or as a, a woman director, there's not as much validity to your work. You're not the go-to person. And for me, ageism, there was a lot of ageism in, in terms of uh, what you're considered for next. Now, right. some of that is on me because I made family choices and um, I, there were some flaws in the program. The program doesn't exist anymore because there was not a lot of mentoring of the PhD candidates to publish and to go to conferences. And, and so there was not a focus on that. The faculty there, in fact, did not go to conferences themselves. However, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's the mansplaining that happens when you're in the room and you just keep on doing good work. And again, going back to the original comment of you have to define what success is for you and you have to believe it. You have to know that what you're doing has worth. And certainly I've thought about it more and more that what I, you will remember this, that I am modeling for the women who come after me, that you are worth it. Um, I remember saying to a lot of the young women that I worked with, see how Ken treats me. That's what you deserve. That's what a relationship is about. Um, that that is possible. And I, I know, I know. Um, that's, I, I think about, um, especially our time together and in, in what we created, mm -hmm. I'm talking to you specifically now, 
I think about Camelot and the end of Camelot when King Arthur says to the boy, run boy, just remember, tell everybody that there was this shining moment, um, that this magical time. And the reason, the reason that I want, and I've said that to some of my classes when I was teaching acting, and I've said that to some of my cast members, when we've created that magic and said, okay, now you know this is possible. Now you know this can be done. And you're going to do a lot of shit <laughs> going forward. You'll have to put up with some of it, but you know this is possible. So you know you can be a part of creating this again going forward and making it happen again and again. And um, so that's kind of what I point to that what happened once is not an isolation and each of you carry forth that that spark of magic that um can continue on will continue on yeah i'm not exactly sure what i want to ask here but you know like frankie and i want to have kids and it's daunting and money and careers and all of that do you have any thoughts about the time in your life when you started to have kids and how it related? To, I mean, I'm so impressed that you you found a way to incorporate them in your artistic life and you made this whole other community that mm -hmm. included them. And now they're adults and you have not only your mom relationship with them, but in many cases, an artistic relationship with your kids too, which you started with them very young, which is unique. Um, so I don't know what the question is, but... I'm curious about... And, and you know that Beth is very um, articulate about having Effie be a STEM baby. I mean, she's she's kind of going the other way. It's like, I want to make sure that you have the other side of things. <laughs> if you want to be a scientist. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's perfectly okay. Yeah. Um, partly because she's going to grow up steeped in the arts. because yeah, no matter her, what. Because her, her parents are very artistic. And, yeah. It's going to be in her community, the heart community that Beth has built already around her. She built when she was in one place. She's built when she's in another. Well, here's what happened to me. First of all, I was younger. And if there is such a thing as a biological clock, it's sort of like when, and I was, it was the 70s, okay? Like, it was, <laughs> there's a lot of things that, that you know, happened that, you know, you just want to, like, look at people, and it goes with a hand wave. It goes, like, ah, it was the 70s. And you wave your hand, it's like, yeah, all was forgiven. Um, but I met Ken, and it's like my ovaries stood up and said, excuse me. That um, That's so the guy. There was very little choice, it feels like, then, that this this is a man that I can build a family with. This is, this is someone I can build a family with, and... Um, I will tell you that we were poorer than poor. Uh, I, I have often said I, in the early years, thought that Ken losing his job was a symptom of pregnancy. Mm. You know, if he came, if he came home and said I lost my job, I, I'm not even late yet. How can you have lost your job? I'm <laughs> totally sure I'm not pregnant. But you make it work. You know, um, it's there's a, a different kind of richness there's a different kind of wealth that you're building at that time um 
again, you have to have a heart community. You have to have a heart community that's going to support you. There's, I think there's a lot more choices now because you can do voiceover work. You know, you can do some things that keep your foot in the door when you're pregnant and visibly pregnant and, you know, first had a baby. You have to have a partner that's totally supportive and wants this, you know, that wants this so that you can agree on a time that because realistically speaking, when you are an actor, you use your body. And so you're going to have to give up a year no matter what else you have to give up a year of from the time you're visibly pregnant until the time that you're visibly post-pregnant <laughs> and however long that takes and you need to give yourself that time I think I think that again you have to go back and determine what is a successful life to you you have to make up your mind what that is for you and trust that somehow the finances will work out if you work together. You have to communicate with your partner because resentments can easily build up. And if you don't talk about them and just acknowledge them, that can happen really, really readily. There's also a trap, especially for women, about, well, we'll wait till we can afford it. Well, the bar keeps changing, you know, like what seems like enough money now, um, by the time you get that much money, you need more. Right. So I wouldn't let that be your entire determining factor. I would say in terms of your artistic life and your creative life, you need to know for yourself how you want to make that fit. And again, look at strategies. I could, um, do some playwriting. I could do some workshops. I could do some voiceover work. I could do some audiobooks. I could do, you know, these are the things that I can do that I can fit in when I'm pregnant and shortly after having a baby. And uh, Beth built her hooks about what she was going to do after the baby. Um, she already had some things going on. Um, yeah, to look forward to. Um, yeah. And then look at what your support system is. There, There's... Um, there's great value in finding heart sisters that can have each other's back. You know, I think that this whole isolated thing is very unusual. I'm not advocating sister wives, but I'm kind of <laughs> advocating tribal, um, communal type sharing of like, yeah. I, you know, a group of women that are having babies at about the same time can spell each other for low or no cost, you know, you need to, it comes back to community, it comes back to connection, um, and expanding our vision about what family is and being open to support as it comes. I think for me, it was, it was hard. You have no idea how broke we were when we had little babies. And then I had little babies and I, I couldn't, help in a meaningful way. I mean, we were very poor at very many times. On the other hand, that time was an investment. And I have wealth now, emotional wealth, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. 
know. It's there's no easy paths for women or for families that are that are centered in being families. Um, so think ahead as much as you can and be open to the time and understand that yes you have to pay the rent and yes you have to have food but you can make money eventually at different things at different times um you can't make more time yeah you can't make more time and that's that's the hard part i mean i i wish i could just say like oh my gosh here's the answer <laughs> no i mean i didn't even ask you a clear question but this is all this is all yeah. good all good yeah. so it's oh. we'll we'll figure it out some way yeah and you know that i'm still a part of your heart family so that when babies oh, are yeah. there buffy will be there also well i'm i'm hopeful <laughs> <laughs> We have to we have to work out coordinate the timing so I can get that. I know in there. you have to tell me when you're gonna be free. We'll try to work it out. <laughs> Let me see what I wanted to ask you next, and also how long I've kept you because we could talk forever. Yes, this is true. Oh, I wanted to ask you about your writing. Yeah. What have you been doing much of that lately, and when did you start? Has that always been something you've done, or is it something that you discovered later in life? Yeah, actually, when I was uh, when I was in high, elementary school, actually, um, I was recognized for my writing, and I and I loved writing, and that was one of the possible career paths uh, for writing. As almost any writer can tell you, that's very similar to acting in that uh, you probably won't make any money at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to make money at it. Um, and it is something that, uh, it was when you were asking about the dark side, it was, I wanted to say something, you know, I don't know why, but some of the most creative writing periods are at the most depressed moments of your life. It's yeah. like poetry comes out of this like complete dark place. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> you know, like why do you have to suffer to be an artist? This doesn't make sense. This is not a good plan. You don't write a lot of happy day poems. <laughs> yeah. Like, happy, happy poems don't really make it, you know, and they don't, uh, happy, happy books don't really make it. And then they were all happy. And then they met somebody else and they were happy again. <laughs> Then they were, they were, then they had babies, and they were happy with the babies, and the babies were happy all the time. It was great. Nobody reads this, right? <laughs> they don't want to hear any of that stuff. So that is a great uh, tool when you're in a dark place, is to say like, well, this is the primordial chaos and pain out of which comes all creations. Of what's <laughs> um, I have been having again as I said I want to be less geographically tied and I've been having an itch to kind of return to the writing and part of that is you just have to make time for it I'm so proud of Beth with her writing Fridays and her absolute commitment to that and I think that that's what you need to do and I this is one of my guilty facts is that I am so multitasking that I I don't have a place for those solitary right. activities. Um, I, I'm somebody who needs external deadlines. Right. Directing a show is perfect 
for me. <laughs> I know when I have to be ready. Right. Then I know where to have my breakdown and stress out and recover and all of that. Uh, well, it's hard writing. to structure your own time like that. Yeah, and I've done some really fun pieces, and I want to kind of go back and pull them up again and see if I can revise them. But for a while with my youth theater troupe, I was writing a Halloween show every year. Mm. So I have a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that I kind of want to go back to that's very comic. You know, it's kind of pulls from the Stevenson story and then kind of has this whole riff going between the the narrator friend and his friend, his foppish friend, you know, and then every time somebody sees Mr. Hyde, we hear about it in report, and there's a recurring gag of, I saw him, oh, he was so horrible, I, I threw up a little bit in my mouth, <laughs> you know, like every time, um, and it's fun, it's No, and that's fun. the kind of thing that if you could get it published, could be done at schools and Precisely. have a market. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I like I think that actually the parody that I did of the Twilight uh, books and movies, and I don't know if Beth has forgiven me yet for making her watch the Twilight movie because I had to watch oh, it in God. order to parody it, right? <laughs> and so, so she had to watch it with me, and I wrote Nightlight, <laughs> vampires afraid of the dork, <laughs> and um, it was so cheesy. It was so so cheesy. It was hilarious and of course you have that first read through where you sit down and you think like oh this is gonna be so bad so bad and you have to read it and you start laughing and you go like oh okay this is good good." (laughs) cheesy so yeah i want to kind of pull back pieces that i have i need to find some external deadline source that will work for me something and that's part of what can keep you from too much of the dark side or can uh, get you back is knowing what your particular cycle is, you know, what your particular method of working. I need external deadlines. I can tell myself all day long that in my free time, I'm going to write the great American novel right. and I do it. Right. But if I have, I have to deliver to a cast, a show that they're going to perform. And the first read through is on September 6th. I will you have will it. Have it. For sure. Yeah, totally. Um, this is a question that if you don't feel like answering, that's fine. I'm just thinking, do you have any thoughts on like the role of artists in this current political climate? Yes, I do. Very strong. Um, I think that, first of all, comedians are stepping up and doing the job of artists of holding politicians' feet to the fire. Um, I think that live theater is a great tool. Um, I look at the work of Auguste Boal, and I I want, I'm trying to educate my theater history students, I'm trying to educate my intro to theater students about, there are ways that theater has interacted with the world to point out injustice and inequities and, and, puncture the balloons of the self-important. And um, yes, I think that we absolutely have a role. Unfortunately, um, for theater artists, if you don't have butts in the seats, you're not gonna impact anybody, you know? And so this is maybe one of the ways in which actors and performers 
with streaming media, with um, uh, social media, with the vines and short pieces can start to make uh, um, a comment. But yeah, that's why the arts get shut down by authoritarian governments is because artists are supposed to point out, uh, hold up a mirror to what's going on. And, and we did Antigone when it was shortly after the Patriot Act came out. Mm. And yep, 9-11, terrible, horrible. And then we start to have this repression. See, there's a threat, so now we have to have, we have to control everybody. And it's astonishing how true the dilemma still is. You know, this is, this is from thousands of years ago. And what's more important? What's more important? Is there a higher law or do we have to listen to the civil law? These are arguments that we need to have. These things are too complex for, for it to be just the simplistic sound bites that we have from the TV, radio. It's just, you're missing the human element. So, yeah, we have a role to play. It's kind of a responsibility, I think, to speak, to show real people, to show real people in all their human dimensions and not to forget the humanity that the other has, whether the other is a different religion or that's a different skin tone or it's a different country. Um, we share more. in our human condition. There's only one human family and so much of theater is about family. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a role to play. It's harder for, I think, live theater artists. Um, It's, yeah, it is just hard to get people in the room, especially who aren't already theater fans, who aren't, you know, who might actually already be liberal or whatever it is, but even if it's a play that's not politically bent to have people in a room seeing humanity and other people well think about so crucible valuable. think about the crucible you know and where arthur miller came yeah. up with that and why yeah but i think we need and a, it's still a new enduring and it's still timely <laughs> you know it's Some more plays like that yeah yeah but getting people in the room is the hard part that is the hard part and that's uh especially when times get tough when times get tough and people don't have a bunch of money that's one of the things that my intro students say when I say, is theater still relevant? Or, you know, what's the role of theater in their discussions? They say, well, it's too expensive. And I try to say to them, well, you're thinking Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, because they'll say, you know, it's, it's $100 or more a ticket. And I say, well, that's true in some places. Did you know that here in Detroit, here in Ann Arbor, here in Chicago, you can go for canned goods on a certain night. You can go for pay what you can. Yeah, or there's almost always night. rush tickets of some sort. Or... Uh, that, that, that it isn't expensive. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, it is, they want you there. Yeah. They want to be participants. When uh, the weekend of the Women's March... I went to Chicago, and Chicago, like many other places, the theaters were having ghost light um, mm-hmm. events. 
where they read different pieces. And again, it's mostly talking to the already committed, you know, that, that it was theater people there talking to theater people, partly because it was raining and they were indoors. I thought it was going to be an outdoors <laughs> event, but it was raining and so people were indoors. Right. And then we went to talk about, well, what can theater artists do? And some good ideas came out of that conversation. And part of the um, ideas that I had, and again, I think that there's a place for working with and speaking to young people, is I think that as theater artists, we have to go to those communities, recruit others from those communities to tell their stories. Don't tell them their story. You don't know their story. But participatory, organic theater um, that comes out of the experiences of the communities that are having terrible difficulties in these times. And yes, it involves some risk for for theater artists, but nobody told you this was going to be easy, you know. Um, so yeah, it, I think that for those of us who are called to be activists, I think it's important to actually go to some of the places that are isolated and give them the tools to tell their own stories in a theatrical way, if that's your art, uh, but give it to them, give mm-hmm. it to them, not impose it or, or here's a free show about your story. No, right. no, I don't have your story. So uh, I think we need a different model of, of, uh, engaging and I think that if you're offering it kind of as a free artistic program that you can create something where there's really a live art happening that wakes people up yeah I mean one of the things that we need in this time is a way for people to find their own voice and there's a lot of not expressing going on or with social media, people think that they're expressing because of the selfies they're putting out or the YouTube videos, or but it's not uh, very much honesty. Or depth. Yes, or depth. Or depth. It, it, it's very it's easy to name call. It's very easy to throw hate around. It's very easy to throw blame around. But to actually say, this is my story. How can I help? How can we help each other? It's easy to destroy. It's easy to say, this is terrible. It's not as easy to say, here's a better way, you know, or, or, or this is what I need even to say, this is what I need to be able to articulate that, um, as challenging. Um, but theater offers us, I think, a, a, a venue to free your voice. And because of the nature of it, you have to connect with others. Is there anything from the last couple of years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? Like a lesson you've learned or something like that? Hmm. The last couple of years. I think that I'm really proud of the depth of the relationships that I've had over the course of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, that 
I've been able to reconnect with Delia after a number of years. Um, and there's, there's, there's so much heart there for us, my friend, Sherry. Um, so I have friends that I've had for more years than I care to admit that I've been alive. (laughs) Um, and that I think I am proudest of the love. I'm so proud of the love being a continuing thread. And I have to believe that love on its own is not enough, but everything else in the world without love is not worth it. Yeah. So that's, I think, I think the proudest of, um, I remain really proud of the Faust project that we created. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's, I mean, that's going back quite a number of years. Um, I'm, I'm proud in a very fun way of the Halloween shows and the, the Twilight parody that I created. I'm, cr- I'm just recently, Full Impact Theater that was Michigan Youth Theater closed its, its doors. So I'm proud that I was able to step away when I did in 2011, um, proud that it it was a viable entity, um, that I created something that could sustain itself for a time without my pouring my life blood into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm proud of that, and I'm I'm thinking that the proudest moments, aside from the pride that I have in you and my kids, my other kids. Um, <laughs> in family, but I think that if I can kind of shift this external rewards thing to writing, I think I have some proud moments still ahead of me. Yeah. Okay. Two short questions and then we'll wrap it up. If you, if you are in the dark place or having one of those days, like, are there any concrete things that you reach for again and again, like a certain book or a certain thing you do? I mean, I mean, I know we talked about the basics of like getting outside eating well, stuff like that, but... Well, chocolate. Chocolate. And coffee. Mm-hmm. Coffee, actually, you know, and I know it's a substance abuse thing, and I, I get it, uh, but sometimes you just need something that will give you the strength to kind of power through, and something that kind of comes up... And this is something that maybe I can say from being older is... The, the, to take a long view because I have been here before and it's awful and I'll probably be here again and it'll be awful but I'm not here most of the time yeah but I'm not here most of the time I can remember and I know that I've come out of this before um, so there's nothing aside from a cup of coffee and saying you know what it's okay it's okay to have this espresso brownie. I don't eat brownies every day, and this is a bad day. <laughs> so I can have an, an espresso brownie. Um, so, yeah, it's it. But taking the long view, yeah, is something that I can do now that I'm old. <laughs> and I've done this a few times. <laughs> and then the last question is: Have you uh, seen anything recently that you want to recommend of any art form? Like something local or a movie or something you've read or something. Uh, well, we watched Fences 
uh, and it was mm-hmm. really, really good. Really good. Uh, we have to watch Moonlight still. We haven't seen that yet. Um, oh, you're going to love it. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. So those are those are two things. I'm in the midst of grading 10-minute plays. <laughs> so I haven't been reading as much as I normally would read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I have been reading, it's mostly been fluff. Adam has gifted me with the graphic novel series Fables, oh, which I love. Um, I would absolutely recommend it's uh, it takes so many of the oft told tales like the Big Bad Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood and Snow White and and any number of the Jack stories and so on. And then it's a very adult read of those alternate worlds that are kind of being funneled into our world hmm. uh, because their world is kind of being destroyed. So it's it's fun to look at a, as a at a grown up at those characters you believed in when you were a kid and see it from an adult lens. So that's kind of fun. That I would I would I would recommend. That's that's fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a good balance of this. This is fluff. This is mental <laughs> floss. I don't have to worry about it. And oh, think peace here. Yeah. So and to have an adult graphic novel kind of makes you feel like a kid like you're reading a comic book or something (laughs) well that's about it unless there's something that you wish I had asked you that you really wanted to talk about well the one part that I wanted to and this is coming back to the money and definition of success Uh I want to get back to writing my blog but I did a blog piece on everything's an audition which is in my blog the other piece that I wrote is I think it's called For the Love of the Game is the way I wrote it. And I want to remind everyone when you're thinking about your work, and I talk about this in my classes as when you think of amateur, right, or something is is amateur versus professional. Actually, the word amateur comes from the word for love, amat, amato. Right. And the example I give is at one time, for a long time, Olympic sports were only reserved for amateurs. Mm. Now, were those amateurs profession means that's your profession, that's what you do for money. Okay. And amateur is something you do for love. That's where the words come from. Um, and were our Olympic athletes lesser than? The people who are professional athletes, no, they're often the best in the world. Um, and similarly, in theater, there, Stanislavski started out as an amateur. Now, Shakespeare was a complete commercial artist. That's what he did. You know, he was mm-hmm. a genius, but he was in it for the money. And write those sonnets because you know, bitches or, or or the guys love those sonnets. <laughs> but um, oftentimes, the very best art comes for the love of it yeah and there's a reason that it's called a play you know because it should it should engage your heart um so when you're having a bad time with it remember that you're doing it because for the love of the game 
And if, if you're stuck in an amateur spot, that's not bad. It doesn't mean it's bad art. It means you're doing it for love. So that's, that's something that I try to remember. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. This means so much to me. Love you. I love you too. listening to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook in itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick choksi and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.